This is Andy Steiger. Welcome to the AC Podcast. On this podcast, we want to help you to understand and speak the language of our culture and to address questions being asked with intellectual honesty, gentleness, and respect. Hey, Steve here. Before we get started on today's edition of the AC Podcast, just a couple things to let you know about. Number one, due to some technical difficulties, the sound quality of Andy's track has suffered somewhat. While you should have no problem making out what he's actually saying, we nevertheless apologize for the poor sound quality. Number two, today's episode deals with mature subject matter, so listener discretion is advised, especially if you have young ears listening in. With that out of the way, here's Andy. I am joined with my good friend, Alicia. Alicia, welcome to the show. Thank you. I've asked Alicia if she would come and be on the show as we talk on cultural issues here. What I would call the sexualization of marriage. I think Alicia is going to see this a little bit different than me. We'll see. By the way, I, one of the things I love about having Alicia on the show is there are these moments when we'll talk and she'll just have this look on her face. It immediately tells me she disagrees with what I'm saying, which is great. So, I love having you on the show because I know that you'll disagree with me at times. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out today. So, we're going to be looking at this topic of sexualization of what I'm calling marriage. And specifically, we're looking at this popular podcast called Call Her Daddy. Now, I just want to make it clear that the reason we're addressing these issues today on the podcast is because listeners contact us. So, listeners often, you know, will contact us and say, hey, this is going on in culture. Would you address it? We received a number of emails from people asking us to address Call Her Daddy. So, I figured it would be good for Alicia and I to get together. It's going to be quite the podcast today as we get into these culturally hot topics. And I'm looking forward to addressing them with you. I did just want to say one thing, though, before we jump into the podcast. And that is, uh, you'll know uh, Alicia because she's been on the show before when we've talked on these sorts of issues. It's one of the reasons I asked her to come on is because I always like to get a female voice uh, than just Steve and I or whatever talking on these particular issues. But uh, Alicia, you were recently on the show when we dealt with a three-part series called parenting your child in a technological age. We received so much positive feedback from those shows that I did just want to take a moment to just remind listeners, if you haven't seen those, check them out. I think you'd find them very helpful. We did receive some questions from people that would potentially like to go deeper with you on that subject. How can people contact you? And is this something that you are willing to meet with people or, or speak on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, that's one of the focuses of my counseling in practice is to empower parents and to empower actually other practitioners around how to protect our kids online. And so you can contact me via my website, experiencechange.ca. Just fill out a contact form there. It'll go right to my email and I'd be happy to hear from you, whether that be a session or you want to invite me to your particular community, your colleagues, bunch of parents, schools, churches. There's a, a number of venues that I would love to chat and deepen this, this information in your world. It's interesting. After we did those three podcasts on parenting a child in the technological age, I, I couldn't even believe how many friends and just different conversation this subject is coming up in. 
This is such an important subject right now. I mean, I believe one of the reasons why it's so needed is just with regards to this pandemic, I think it's really heightened a lot of these issues. Wouldn't you agree? I would definitely agree. And that is actually the reason why I really felt compelled to create the podcast series with you, Andy, is because this pandemic has really taken something that has always been very important, but has really lit a fire under it. Um, the access and, and the amount that children are online and the, the reports of predators accessing those children have increased significantly, which is very, very concerning. And there's a lot that we can do as adults to, to engage in the subject and to to do it really well. It doesn't have to be scary. It can be actually a really, really lovely thing to lean into. Well, let's jump into our subject today. We're going right into the cultural deep end as we address the issue of, I'm titling under the subject matter of the sexualization of marriage, and I'll explain why I want to go in that direction in a moment. Uh, as was asked, people said, hey, Andy, there's this really popular podcast called Call Her Daddy, and have asked us to address this issue that's going on, particularly, I think one of the things that brought this to attention as of recent was music video that Cardi B did. And we've seen this, haven't we, over the years? Haven't we? With music videos, they've just gotten raunchier and raunchier. And and this latest one, I, I don't even remember what it's called. WAP. Is it called WAP? And, Do you want me to say what it actually is? No, I think we can't, or better not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I you know what we've seen with music videos is not it's nothing new and it's only gotten more and more, which I think has brought to the cultural attention of things like this podcast, Call Her Daddy, which talks very explicitly on sexual issues or sexuality, uh, specifically having sex and seeking to a talk about it and as well to, I guess, at some level, provide some sort of counsel uh, in a very crude way on that. Now, I try not to go into these sorts of things because I don't think it's healthy for my soul. So, I just went and saw what they podcast on. And that definitely gave me an idea of what's going on there. And then I saw a video that ended up being a video talking about how this podcast got started in New York and how this podcast has led to its own sort of controversies that have gone on with regards to the two girls that host the podcast and a contractual disagreement that took place. So, that's about the breadth of what I know about it. But the thing that I want to get into with regards to this subject is, it might surprise listeners, but I think that there's a balance to be had with these sorts of sexual issues. Where on the one hand, I think Christians have made the mistake in the past and, and present where they just don't talk about sex at all. And it's almost kind of an awkward topic in Christianity. This is something that when I do marriage counseling, one of the topics that I always address is the topic of sex. And these days I've come to enjoy just watching as this couple squirms as a pastor talks to them about sex. Now, I don't go into any sort of disturbing details or anything, but if I just as a pastor, if I just say sex or whatever, you just see people start to cringe, go, oh, no, a pastor's going to talk about sex, right? But I think that that's in large part because we just never talk about the subject. Culturally, we just, we don't talk about it in a, in a healthy way. And this is something I want to get at 
in the podcast today? Yeah, I think that my experience of Christians talking about sex is that when we do talk about it, it's in a way that's like, be careful, that's not okay, like hide it or it's, it's always a in sin. a negative. Yeah, it's it's light. A, it's very much in a negative light. And then the popular culture is like, this is it. This is the pinnacle of life. Like when you have an orgasm, that is what everything is about to get yourself to that point. And I'm glad you brought that up because that was my experience, Alicia. And I'm curious to hear what your experience is. I'll share mine first. Coming at this from a man's perspective, growing up in our hyper-sexualized culture, I bought into the cultural narrative that whatever sort of sexual angst you have is going to be satisfied in marriage. And I had this idea that marriage was some sort of orgasmic wonderland that would, you know, fulfill all of my sexual urges or whatever, you know, as a teenage boy growing up, you know, dealing with hormones into adulthood. There are many men that look forward to getting married or look forward to having sex because it's the way they're biologically oriented, right? The problem, though, is we buy into this this narrative that is so false that when I got married, I went into like a two-year depression. My marriage did not start well. Uh, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before. Yeah, Nancy and I had a rough first two years of marriage. And the reason is because I went into marriage foolishly not understanding what the real world was. Rightfully, I had this desire to want to have sex with my wife, and I saved myself for my spouse. Like, I knew that that was biblically the right thing to do, and it took a lot of effort on my part and a lot of God's grace. I crossed that finish line, if you will, right? And so, imagine, here I am getting married, you head off on your honeymoon, and all of a sudden, you have sex for the first time, and I'm like, that was not the orgasmic wonderland that I had bought into, Sex was nothing like what I thought it was going to be. So, this is one of the reasons why I talk with young couples about what sex actually is. And that's why when I see podcasts like Call Her Daddy and whatnot, they concern me because um, they so often peddle something that doesn't exist, this unrealistic sexuality. Yeah, I think that they peddle a one-dimensional idea of sex. And this is the idea of dehumanization, really, is when we only focus on one aspect. Because uh, sex often, for many people, does lead to orgasm. And that's a lovely thing. That's a thing that you can't reproduce in any other way. And that God designed us for that and to want it. And orgasm is not the only sexual experience that people have. And sex isn't only about orgasm. It's also about intimacy. It's about connecting mind, body, soul. It's about covenant. It's about um, long term. You know, when you have sex with your partner, you actually, your attachment to them, your psychological and physical attachment, desire to be with, uh, goes deep really fast. And so, that I believe is an intention that God created in us, is that the person that we have sex with is the person we anchor ourselves to. And the way that this podcast addresses sex does not address sex, it addresses orgasm, it addresses power, it addresses the dynamics of relationships and how these two women see themselves and see men. And this, this is one of those things that concerns me with regards to this dehumanization of sex. 
is because the breadth of relationship that we're created for doesn't get expressed. Instead, it becomes this one-dimensional view. And what happens, and that I have seen as a pastor and counseled so many through, is that if they don't get this one-dimensional perspective or experience, I should say, in their marriage, then they believe there's something wrong with their marriage, and they've accidentally married the wrong person, and they need to go find the right spouse. Now, honestly, Alicia, I could have easily, in my first two years of marriage, I was so disappointed and so frustrated because I was so naive. I easily could have fallen into that that picture. I easily could have walked away from my marriage with Nancy. We don't have time to get too deep into this. I, I do just want to make a comment here uh, as we transition into your own experience. But what, here's what I had to learn for all you men out there, and maybe this will be helpful for you ladies as well. I had to learn that sex is like, is like anything else, really. You're going to suck at it at first. It's something that you actually have to practice. It's actually something that you have to work at to get good at and to think that you're going to get married and you're going to experience the pinnacle of what sex is, is so naive and so stupid that I can't believe I bought into it back then. Well, and research actually really reflects that. It comes to mind this article that I was reading a couple of years back, and it's not written by Christians. It's just, you know, researching sex and the quality of sex and, and what people self-report. And the self-reports are very clear that actually the highest sex is when you have it exclusively with one partner, uh, typically in the context of marriage, but a committed relationship many years into that relationship. And that is actually the height of the positive sexual experience. And so whether you're a Christian or not, it has nothing to do with your beliefs. So this, this is coming out of research quite clearly. And that was definitely my experience. And I wish that I could go back in some ways and just, give myself some good counsel, you know, because it's something honestly that we don't get, especially in this hyper-sexualized culture where all you're sold is this orgasmic view of relationship of marriage. And I just wish somebody could have just given me, and that's why I, when I do marriage counseling, I seek to give real world perspective of what marriage is like and what sex is like, that the longer you're married, actually the better you get at sex. And I think you would agree, like that's a good thing. You know, honestly, I know this is so naive and so dumb, but this is the truth. I had this view that when you get married, you would have the best sex of your life. That's the pinnacle. And that I had this view that like that's the orgasmic wonderland and you try your best to keep it at that level. But as you get married longer and longer, it will start to diminish. And so, your goal is to try to keep that, you know, wonderland alive and well for as long as you can, but eventually it's just going to peter out down the And that's what we're sold through culture. We are sold through culture that you have your best sexual experiences when you're young, when you're in your prime, when it's a new experience, typically, even outside of marriage, or your first time when it's new. And I mean, essentially, that's the heels of a bachelor party, the idea of that, where, well, you're getting locked, chain and ball, and so have your sexual experience with this stripper or whatever, this cultural phenomena, because it's all downhill from here. That is essentially the cup that we're given and that we all drink from. And that's actually not 
true for actual humanity. Like that's a narrative. It's a story we tell ourselves, but it's not actually true. It sells a lot of things, Andy. It sells a lot of movies and shirts and makeup and hair products. It sells a lot of things, but that narrative is actually not the true narrative for humanity. So there's this huge contrast between what we're given and what we, what we actually are. I think that's really well said. I want to take a moment just to hear from your perspective. So I've shared a little bit of my perspective from my first couple years of marriage as I was learning about this. Thankfully, I did not give up on my wife, uh, Nancy, or our marriage. I did something that I would encourage you listeners to do. I know this is incredible advice. I talked to my wife. We talked about it. It, it kind of saddens me that people see a podcast as the place to go to talk about sex. But the truth is, is it took me far too long in marriage to realize this. Your spouse is the person you need to be talking to about sex. If you want to know what's pleasurable, talk to your spouse and find out. And, and those are the sort of conversations as a married couple you should be comfortable having and talking about. Actually, I did want to say one other thing here before we hear your perspective. <clears throat> I want to put a warning out there as well. I would say something that I learned in has been an important lesson to learn as I stop drinking the cultural Kool-Aid. And that is that marriage is more than just sex. If you buy into this idea that marriage is all about sex, marriage will highly disappoint you. And you'll never be satisfied because you'll just divorce and go on to another relationship and be dissatisfied in that one. And you'll just keep that process going. Or you'll have a lot of great sex with your spouse and be so disappointed that that's what you thought it was because having a lot of great sex is not the pinnacle of life. Is it a wonderful gift that God has given us? You better friggin' believe it. It is not the pinnacle of life. And to even be quote unquote successful in your sex life, in your marriage, and for that to be all that it can be, you're left with, well, what's more if that was your life's goal, even if it comes to fruition? And that's one of the beauties I've found about marriage, actually, is that you have a relationship with another human being that is int more intimate than any other relationship that you'll have with another person, and that you go through these different seasons of life together that are incredibly beautiful, like having children together, growing old together, going on vacation, making memories together of all of all sorts. And that these become an incredible facet of what your marriage, what your relationship with this other human being was meant to be. And in fact, I mean, I think this surprises a lot of Christians to hear, but the Bible doesn't say that marriage is about sex. The, the purpose of marriage isn't sex. And I think that really surprises a lot of people. The purpose of marriage is about relationship. And sex is one of those great deep aspects about it. But I think that what we find then in marriage is we're walk, walking this balancing act between the reality is, is that marriage isn't always about sex, but it's not about not having sex either, that there's both. And you have to navigate that. So, I want to give out this warning, and that is this. If you've made marriage all about sex, that's a problem, and you are out of balance. But if you've also made marriage not about sex at all, you also are out of balance. And that's not healthy either. And in fact, whenever I've had friends that are in marital issues or people I've counseled that have had marital issues, this is often one of the ways that I gauge the health of that relationship is just to ask, are you having sex? 
But when somebody says, oh man, I haven't had sex with my spouse in a year. Oh my. Red flags are going up in my mind. This is a huge warning sign that this relationship is about to end. Now, that's not always the case. Of course, there could be medical reasons or whatever that make perhaps having sex not possible or various other reasons. But by and large, you should be having sex with your spouse. And if you're not, that is a problem. And now, listeners, before we continue, a message from our very own Steve Kim. Are you in a small group reading Andy's book, Reclaimed, together? You might be interested to know that there is a digital study guide available for download. You can use this free resource as a discussion guide in your community group or book club. Download your copy today at reclaimedbook.info. Again, the free digital study guide is available at reclaimedbook.info. And now back to our podcast. From that, let's jump into your own story then, Alicia. What's been your experience? And I guess I have multiple questions for you with regards to this. Let's start, though, just personal level. Were you disappointed by marriage? Was it different than what you thought? Yeah, it was different than what I thought for sure. I'm an identical twin. And so uh, with that came, you know, we shared a room our entire lives. We shared friends. We shared clothes. We shared a language. People would say we didn't have to finish each other's sentences. And so I just expected that the person that I would marry would meet me on that level and then a step further. And so uh, my current husband, my only husband, Tom, he uh, he often jokes with me. Uh, he jabs with me and, and has said earlier on in my marriage, I've been married for 12 years together for like over 15. He said, I am not your twin. I will never be that person. My expectations were all over the chart. So I had to really change my expectations as well on like a friendship level, on a personal connection level and sexually as a woman, but maybe just me, I'm not sure if this is, if I can project it out from me, but I really went into my marriage. I was very sexually pursued um, by men, married, single, whatever. And I had been proposed to maybe three times before I, my husband proposed to me. And so I had, like many opportunities, which created this idea for me of like what it should be in my marriage. Now that I'm marrying this person, um, then he's going to always pursue me. He is always going to want me. He's the one. And like on a sexual level, um, whenever, like if we didn't have sex or I was trying to figure out like how much one should have sex in marriage and how much my, my husband should want me, I always reflected it back on, oh, you've got to be kidding me. I wonder what I'm doing wrong. I wonder if I'm not beautiful enough or I'm not what he thought I was. And I'm not like, like I could have said yes to all these other guys. Like what's going on here? Like what's happening? And so it was a huge revision, I think, of my expectations, looking at what my expectations are, and then realizing kind of the cultural Kool-Aid I had bought, which was like my role in my sexuality, my role in marriage, and that I get to expect something from sex too, that it's not all about the man. It's not all about my husband's desire for me. Where's my desire? What do I want? Um, and I know that's a, an important issue for you, isn't it? That women have a voice and have their own sexual identity. I don't know if that's a good way of putting it. Because I, I, I get this impression from you, from different conversations that we've had, that women are sexually repressed. Would that, is that the way you'd put it? Victimized, I would say. I don't like the word victimized, but sexually dominated. So, um, 
you know, the rape stats, the amount of physical, emotional, psychological, and familial pain that women have and girls have had as a culture, maybe from the beginning, is atrocious. It's so damaging and it's so prevalent. It's so much more out there than we'd like to believe. And that instills, I believe, a fear in women and girls of men and a fear of ourselves. And so, I don't feel safe going certain places. And, you know, my husband has come around to understand that I don't feel safe, but he walks around, you know, feeling safe pretty much everywhere he goes. I can't remember ever a time just feeling, not feeling like I have to get out. Like when I used to go tanning when I was a teenager, I would know, like if someone came in here, how I would get out of the scenario. It's it's funny you say that because I have three sisters and they've said this to me a number of times when they go into a store that they will often take into account where the exits are, where they go, what time of night they're, they're going. They're, they're constantly thinking about their safety. So let's talk about what, how that impacts a woman. Okay. So when we feel unsafe, we go into our respiratory system, fight, flight, and freeze. What happens is, is the blood in our bodies is drawn away from our brain and our limbs into our heart so that we can literally fight or flight. This is not the presence of real danger. This is the perception of danger. So there's a whole culture out there that is women that are culturally looking for levels of danger. And so our respiratory system, our psychological system is in fight, flight, or freeze. And we go in it and out of it a lot. So what does that do to the capacity and our ability to think deeply? So I've really interested in this idea of thinking deeply and how much silence and time it actually takes to think on a deeper critical level. And that takes internal safety. That takes literal rest in your body to sit and to think and to get into places that offer something to humanity. And when you're in fight flight all the time, you can't get to that level in your brain because it's staying in certain regions that need to make critical decisions. So I believe that this culture of sexuality and and how women actually experience, how we experience ourselves in this really comes down to safety. And what does that do? And how does that limit us, Andy? Help me to understand something because I feel like there's contradiction going on here. Why if women feel so unsafe, do they then simultaneously dress so provocatively at the same time? You think that if a woman feels unsafe, that she would dress less provocatively or cover up more or something. Do you know what I'm saying? Help me to understand that. Yeah, I don't think that... um I think that's a big question, Andy. My initial thoughts on that are we didn't used to as a society of women. That's only recent. And what I'm noticing in the trend of sexuality in women, especially since the Me Too movement, is that women are saying, I am tired of being afraid. Screw you. And so they are now putting on, I mean, basically what used to be traditionally seen as a prostitute's garb, like attire, and we are over-sexualizing ourselves, or rather... I mean, see, that's that's a subjective opinion to over-sexualize oneself. We are embracing our sexuality, but then it's going into this place of screw you. And I'm the one with power. I'm going to take this back in the same way that 
that it has been taken from me. So I believe that a lot of our over-sexualization and dehumanization of sexualization is actually a trauma response. It, it's a pushback from the fear. Is that what you're saying? So it's a replaying of something we've experienced, but switching the power. So traditionally and in, and still today, women have been exploited sexually. They have been used. They have been hurt. It's a very common thing for you know women to be sexually harassed, and you used to not be able to speak up about that because it happens so often. But now we're in a culture where, wait a minute, we can actually speak up about it. And so now I'm going to use my sexuality as a point of power to dominate. And that's essentially what Call Her Daddy is. The title alone uh, disturbs me. Call Her Daddy. So I really had to think about this and the idea of daddy. So in the sexual realm, the term daddy is basically talking about pedophilia and like within the family where the dad uh, rapes their child. So call her daddy is, that's the root of it. And the root of that is dominance and, and submission. And so the title call her daddy is saying she is now the one in the dominant and he is now or the partner but these two people appear to be quite heterosexual straight and now I am the one in the dominant position and you will be in the submissive submissive position and in a way that's working out one's trauma so if you've experienced yourself as being out of control and unsafe then what our whole body does, just in hum- as in humanity, is we try to work that out. Our body tries to work that out by putting ourselves and choosing spaces that kind of mimic that, but where we are more in control of it. Does this make sense? Yes, it, it does. One of the things, though, that I'm realizing is I, I really do believe as a man, it's difficult for me to fully appreciate what you're saying. I really do believe that. The reason is, Men don't have to deal with what so many women deal with on a regular basis. And honestly, Alicia, you were the first to help me to see this. And it was when we were interning again, and we would head off someplace in the community with our high schoolers that we were working with. And to see the sort of cultural attention that you had to deal with on a day-to-day basis was really eye-opening for me. Because I had never dealt with anything like that. But here I am with you seeing you deal with that. There's been times too where I've seen my wife uh, have to deal with that as well. And as a spouse, that gets you fired up. But I think by and large, there there's a lot that women are processing. Maybe they don't even fully appreciate all that they're processing and how they're responding to what they've had to process that we have to think about and be cognizant of. One of the things that you're you know, listeners, you're probably hearing us going back to over and over again is this theme of dehumanization. It's one of the reasons why I address this topic in my most recent book. And one of the reasons why I think we have to think about this so much is we culturally have been trained to dehumanize each other in this way. And it's playing itself out in all sorts of of ways, you know, that I don't think that we'll fully appreciate what's going on until we start to get that framework in place to realize that another person is being objectified. And this, to me, was one of the things that helped in my marriage, was realizing that I was trying to objectify my wife and God had something much more in store for my relationship with her. The other thing, too, that was was interesting for me, but hard, 
as a husband, I want to encourage listeners, if you're struggling in your marriage and maybe you're struggling with regards to intimacy in your marriage and sex, if I could just encourage you to talk with your spouse, have an open and real conversation. If you think or feel that you should be having more sex in your marriage, talk to your spouse about it. Whatever it might be that's going on, I know there's a variety of different issues, you really need to talk it through. This is something that has been difficult to do, but something that has been very effective for Nancy and I as we've worked through our own issues. Have you had conversations with Tom about your own challenges when you first got married with regards to... Well, if you know anything about me, we have conversations. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, my husband and I, we talk things through. And um, uh, maybe to his detriment, poor guy. But uh, yeah, no, we, um, well, we went to counseling for sure. And that's one thing that I actually want to encourage listeners to do as well. Because sometimes in sex, you're having sex and you feel uncomfortable or... You, you don't know what you're feeling or you feel numb or you might disassociate and not know you're disassociating. So you might go somewhere else in your mind. It might be to something imaginary you've seen online. It might be to a person you bumped into the grocery store. It might be listening to a music video or whatever, nothing sexual at all. Our bodies actually hold memory. Our muscles hold memory. And when we're touched in a certain way and when we're put in a certain place, we might be surprised what comes up for us and not know how to talk to our spouses about what's coming up or even even ourselves about what it's like to be in a certain sexual position or even having sex at all. And so I would encourage you By to, that, can I just press in on this a little yeah. bit? Are you saying then, so for example, so some, some ladies may have some negative experiences that they bring to- And men. And men. And I was going to bring that up next because I think there's a, a lot of men who have been sexualized through pornography and- And, and abused. And abused that they bring to the marriage as well that create all sorts of challenges. So it sounds like I'm understanding you correctly that it could be that from your past experience, you've, you've brought abuse, men and women, into the relationship and you need to work through this. Yeah, sometimes what happens is you you get married and you you feel fully intimately safe with this person, and uh, maybe you've had sexual encounters with this person before you got married, and it was great or safe and whatever, and then something comes up in your your relationship and it just doesn't feel good to have sex anymore, or you find yourself just dreading it, just not wanting to do that, or you find some people have panic attacks, and sometimes it's not that obvious, and we get into this place of like not knowing how to explain it to our spouse, not even knowing what's coming up for us and that can feel really scary. So when you get to that place or if you get into that place or touch those areas, to reach out to a counselor about what's going on for you and you don't have to know how to explain it to your counselor. You just come exactly as you are, individually or as a couple, to be able to lean into some of these things that come up uh, in our bodies and feeling you know, unsafe or not knowing what you're feeling, but just not knowing how to get through it well. Yeah, I guess the concern is, is with what we've talked about today, the concern that I have is that people will come into the, you know, their marriage, they'll have their challenges, but they won't do the hard work of figuring out what's going on. And then they just decide to give up on, on the relationship. 
But the problem is you're just going to take that with you into the next relationship. Yeah. There's this beautiful opportunity to turn toward your spouse and to co-create something new. And rather than, you know, numb out or close your eyes to or what have you, and then just be land on disappointment and hope for something new in the future. Um, whether that mean, you know, new in your marriage where you just block out your partner sexually, we'll just have a friendship type of marriage. You're actually really missing out and creating some landmines for yourself and for your spouse. But also the hope of like just finding something that might feel better in another relationship because it was okay before we had, before we got married or, we, you know, whatever. But to actually to be with the pain, to be with your spouse in the pain and to lean into it is the way through healing. That is actually how those memories are released from your body, is when you lean in, not when you ignore. And see, this is this is real life. That's why, you know, you see a podcast like Call Her Daddy or whatever, and I see that and I think, man, it, real life is just, there's a depth of richness that is so much more than just sex. And that, that what God has in store for us in marriage is so much deeper. And you know, this really hit me the other day in a profound way. It's something I've been thinking about with regards to when I was writing the book, but I, I just saw it beautifully portrayed in a TV show actually on Amazon. It's something called like the world's or most challenging race or world's hardest race or something to that effect. In this race, it, you know, you're racing like something like 600 kilometers and these people get like three hours of sleep a night. And and they're going hard for days on end. It's crazy when you watch it. But one of the things that was so powerful in it is there's a man who has Alzheimer's. And it's worth the price of admission to watch this thing just to watch this son going on this race with his dad. And his dad is somebody that he just deeply loves and respects. And you just see the depth of that relationship with him and his son as they're doing this race together. And what ends up being the case is that this dad normally would be with his other group of friends doing these extreme races. So that other group of friends is still doing the extreme race. They're just not with this guy and his, his son and, and their group. And I say all that because what's so powerful is one of his friends that's a part of the other group is talking with the camera. He says this to the camera. He says, you know, with my friend, we used to have this idea that once we got to this place where we couldn't race anymore, that just uh, take me out into the, the forest and leave me kind of thing. Because that's all they had made life about. And that, that's, the, that's how deep they had viewed relationship. And it was just interesting because just with tears in his eyes, he looks at the camera and he's like, how naive we were. How stupid. Well, and that, that sentiment came over me as I listened to this Call Her Daddy podcast over and over again of actually for me, how sad this is. And it really landed on, wow, these two women just have no idea what it's like to have a healthy sexual life. The way that they view themselves, the places and positions literally that they describe themselves in are sad. And honestly, the way that they describe men is so degrading and so sad that they're living and creating and selling a worldview that nobody actually matters. That all of this is actually an exchange. and A pleasure exchange. No. These women explicitly say they're not having sex for pleasure. 
They are having sex to manipulate the man, to have power over the man. They say, oh, I, I wrote down some quotes. Men in general are just so effing stupid. I'm not effing him. He is not effing me. I'm the one in power. Sometimes you, I use sex as a manipulation tactic. And then they laugh and they say, sometimes. They are explicitly saying to their audience, and they have a following. Call Her Daddy has a following. They explicitly say that they want to make themselves the trophy girlfriend so that this man will do what she tells them to do. And that once they are in it for the long haul, whether it's marriage or a committed relationship, that's when they're going to lie down, turn over, and say, I'm tired tonight. This is not about them having sexual pleasure. And they laugh about the fact that they're not having sexual pleasure. They say that, oh no, I don't have orgasms in sex with these guys that I'm manipulating because they're so dumb. Uh, the only pleasure I have is with somebody I don't see a long-term relationship with, that they're not worth my time. That's when I focus on me, when it's a one-time thing that has nothing to do with a long-term. That's when I get a sexual pleasure. But again, it's not about that man, that one-time thing. They're essentially masturbating on a man's body for their own pleasure. None of this is intended for- To have power over them to have power over them. When they can release the idea of having power over somebody, that's when they can enter into personal orgasm. But again, it's not about full sexual pleasure, about me connecting with this actual human being with a mind, body, soul. No, it's basically, he's a physical warm dildo that I will then orgasm because you matter so little to me that I'm not even going to try to manipulate you. You can imagine how shallow that relationship would be and here, this, you know, if it leads to marriage or some sort of committed relationship, you could only imagine how fractured this relationship is, because that's what it's been built on. It's built on dominance. There is no, in fact, relationship there. Uh, I would phrase it as there is a very unhealthy, unbalanced, abusive type relationship there, and culture is eating it up. I think that that is, is such an important point. Where I was going to end on this idea of that friend relationship that we're talking about, which I think is an important aspect of relationship, right, uh, that we need to foster. But I, I just love the way that he set this up because one of the things he said with regards to, you know, just take take your friend out into the woods and just leave them, right? Because, you know, if life is just about racing, then that's it. And I think for many people, life's just about sex and, and that's it. You know, if you can't have sex, well, then just take me out of the woods and leave me. But when, what he says, though, that I thought was so powerful is when his friend got sick with Alzheimer's, it began to teach him for the first time that relationship goes so much deeper than just a race. And that one of the deepest aspects of a relationship, in fact, is to suffer with another person and to love them in the midst of the trials of life. Isn't that what marriage was, is supposed to be? It's that sort of deep, intimate relationship that you are committed to loving that person in relationship with that person, not just in the highs, but the lows. And this is the sad part, isn't it, Alicia? We'll pay lip service to that in a wedding where we'll say our, our vows, you know, in sickness and in health. But in real, reality, especially in our culture today, it's in sex and that's it. Like, it's, 
not in sex and no sex, <laughs> right? I'll love you as long as you're healthy and we have sex, but as soon as trouble comes, I'm out. Yeah, and I think that I'm really resonating with this idea of, you know, friendship and like, if we're not doing this, then take me out. I think that there's a generation of women and girls who are like, when I'm no longer sexually desirable, then just walk me out into the woods and take me out. And the context of marriage transforms that because desirability is not only on your beauty, it's about your mind, body, soul. Like Jesus calls us to love God with our whole mind, our whole heart, and our whole soul. We are in to love the Lord our God that way and then to love each other in that way. It is not to love the image of oneself and to really encompass this full embodiment, this full dignity, this full humanization of what it is to be man and woman in the presence of one another is really what I believe a working out, a working out a lot of the things that we haven't known about ourselves in an environment that, that's committed, that's messy, that you get to show up and be all of your parts and have somebody witness that with you with grace. I hope that today is actually an invitation for you to maybe step back from the narrative that you've been buying and not even knowing because it's literally given to us on a silver platter. Let's take a step back. Let's look at what we're viewing and let's be curious about what are the other possibilities for ourselves, for our marriage, for our health, for our sexuality that is not about dominance, that is not about over-sexualizing one part or over-appreciating only one part of who we are as humanity, but that there's so much more out there and that it was intended and weaved into our DNA to want and to lean in for and to fight for, that this is possible, this is healthy, and it's not the narrative that we readily choose to consume. I think this is a great place for us to end our podcast. Uh, Alicia, I just want to thank you for joining me once again on this important subject. You've provided so much thoughtful engagement to this. I really, I really appreciate it. Uh, you've helped me to think much more deeply on this topic. And I, I pray, listeners, that this has been an encouragement to you. Stick with us. We've got many more great podcasts coming up. I want to thank you, listeners, for joining us. This has been another episode of the AC Podcast. We will come back next week with more things to think about. 